0: Oh man,
1: I'm just absolutely honored to be here. Um, Feels like a homecoming in a lot of ways. Um, i tell you what, you guys got two of the best here at Believer's Fellowship. I mean, you guys already know that. You get to hear them every week. Um, I've stole a lot of his sermons, whether he knew it or not. But the thing is, when you go preaching at somebody else's church, you can't preach their own sermons. But I told him, I said, I think I preach your sermons better than you preach them, Seth, just to be honest. And, uh, no, but that's how I, I gleaned from this, this man right here. He's probably, I don't know, 10 years younger than me, but, uh, you know, faith doesn't have an age and maturity doesn't have an age. It's who will put themselves on the altar and really begin to contend for the things of God and, uh. There's a maturity here beyond their years. So me and my guys walked in, and we're just like, get hit with the presence of God during worship practice. And uh, so as a pastor, I know what that means. That means you guys have won a lot of battles in the private place, and there's been some blood on the floor, but uh, the move of God's worth it. The move of God's worth it. And, uh, and I know as a pastor, when you're contending for a move of God, most opposition you get's from the church. I mean, it's it's kind of odd. It's like sinners come in and want to be saved and the church want to fight you. I don't know what that's all about, but that's just what it is. But you know what? God's bigger than that. And uh, it's kind of funny because the, the devil, he's the, he's the king of like these little distractions like you're talking about with like the flies and different things. And it's just enough to kind of make you want to get in the flesh a little bit that's how the devil operates so that that way he can turn it back on you and make you feel bad about maybe feeling a certain way or whatever. But then when you take a step back and really look at the big picture, it's like, really, is that all you got? A couple flies and a few disgruntled people. That The move of God is always worth whatever it costs. Always is worth it. And I just want to just confirm to you guys that that I'm not here to, like Seth said, nothing flashy. just want to share my heart, share what I feel like the Lord's put on my heart for you. Um, When he called me and asked me, I just thought, you know, I'll just warm up some leftovers from Sunday and bring those Monday. But God's got a thing about not letting us do that all the time. (laughs) So this is fresh off the, the plate. I mean, I basically got two texts of Scripture. And uh, I'm just going to trust with the Holy Spirit, but this is a word for you guys. This is a word for those here. This is not uh, This is specifically for y'all. God gave this to me today, this afternoon, about, about noon. And so, um, I'm just excited to share it. One thing that I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to fix anybody. The Lord told me a long time ago, He said, quit trying to fix people. Um, because we don't fix something unless it's a problem. And people are not a problem. People are a solution. People are solutions. Because if I'm trying to fix people from up here, I've already postured myself as the answer and you as the problem. And that's why arrogance comes from the pulpit. And so what God would say is that you're not the problem. I'm not the problem. We know the answer. And since we know the answer, we're the solution. Does that make sense? And so I'm not trying to fix anybody. I just want to share and just inspire you hopefully and, and, uh, and help you along your journey. I've been looking at Genesis chapter 28. And uh, the title is Untapped Wells. Untapped Wells. Genesis 28. Um, and we'll start in verse 10. now, the text picks up here uh, in a time in a man's life by the name of Jacob. And Jacob means deceiver or like a trickster, some kind of supplanter, some kind of some kind of some kind of jokester kind of guy, right? And he comes by it honest because he does do some things that are are pretty tricky. Matter of fact, before he even he's tricking, he's trying to pull some games off in his mother's womb. But there's something in him that is striving, that's trying to achieve something in his own power, in his own flesh, even from the start. And so in his mother's womb, it's him and it's Esau, and one comes out, and as one of the twins in Rebekah's womb comes out, Jacob has the heel of his brother, and he tries to come out at the same time too. <laughs> and so he gets this name, Jacob. Here's this deceiver. Here's this guy from birth who's trying to get ahead by tripping somebody. You ever have that friend that give you that flat tire? You think you're cool and then you get the flat tire and then you, you try to walk it back on and you can't and so you're in a hurry and you've got to put your finger in there and then that doesn't work so you have to untie your shoe. But I think maybe Jacob got that name on him in a wrong kind of way. Because there's a promise that God gave to the people of God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Where it's the first time we really see the promise of the Gospel come to light and it says that, that this woman's seed is going to defeat this serpent. And how this serpent is going to be defeated is it's going to be defeated by a wound. Is that his heel would be bruised and that the serpent's head would be crushed. So I don't know if Jacob was trying to get ahead by grab a hold. Or if he was really just trying to protect his head from the promises of Satan over the promise of God in his life. Does that make sense? So see, things can be misinterpreted sometimes where it makes you look like you're one way, but you're, you're really not. But then when that label gets put on you, you have this pressure to almost live up to this label and you will wear what somebody's put on you more than you'll wear what God has put on you and the label that He's put on you. And so, Jacob has this great name to live up to, deceiver, and so what does he do the rest of his life? <laughs> he starts deceiving. <laughs> it kind of becomes his M.O. His mother gets the promise that he's going to be that the younger will be served by the older, that it's going to reverse the cultural mores of the day and that that God's going to be with him. And so he's already got the promise. The mom's already got the promise. But but here's what the temptation is to do is that when God gives us a promise, we try to fulfill it in the flesh and fulfill it in our own way. And so that's that's the weird thing. This is what I'm learning from God. And I'm just a kindergartner in this. I'm finding out. But what I'm learning from God is this, is that... Whenever he tells me something, stop and ask another question. Because typically, when God tells me something, I run off and try to accomplish it. And then I come back beat up, discouraged, mad, and wonder if I missed God. And what God will come back to every time I come back to God in that situation, he's always like this He's like, Well, I wasn't done talking. You got so excited with the promise that you didn't listen for my process. Are you hearing me? You got so excited about the promise that you didn't hear me for the instruction that you're going to need in the process. So Jacob gets the word, but he's not submitted to the process. How many many of you have ever been there? You got the word from God, but you're not submitted to the process of how God wants to get you there. And so this is Jacob's life. And so... Jacob gets pulled in and it's time for the blessing. His older brother Esau is hairy and red. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But it's just what it is, okay? Hairy and red. So his mom says, so his dad says, hey, I'm about to give the blessing out. And apparently there's something about this familial blessing that had a final, a final say-so kind of once and for all deal. And so he sends, him, he sends his son and says, hey, why don't you uh, cook, kill, kill some wild game and make me this stew, and we're going to have this kind of blessing, right? This kind of passing the baton here of, of the blessing that's on my life be on your life. So while he's gone, the mom overhears that. Remember, the mom gets the word that he's supposed to be the one blessed, right? So the mom says, well, hmm, I know I got the word, so uh, how can I orchestrate this to... Make this happen the way God said it's going to happen. <laughs> so as we see the kind of this dysfunction within, within all this. And so he gets some skins and puts them on his arms. And his father at the time, Isaac, is, is really dim in his sight. And he comes up to him. And uh, he gives him this stew of a goat he had killed. Not a wild animal, but a domesticated. And Jacob's kind of the man of, of the house. He's kind of a house guy. Esau's the wild woodsman. Jacob's the house guy. And so he comes with the goatskins on his arms. Here's this bowl of goat soup.
0: <laughs>
1: Something. And I've actually had that before in Fort Smith. It's not that bad, actually. Um, moving on. And... He eats it, and he hears the voice, and the voice is is Jacob, Uh, but when he asks him to come and fill his arms, he's got those goat skins going on, right? I know it's a really bizarre story, just just work with me here, okay? And he fills his arms, and he says, the arms are Esau's, but the voice is Jacob's. It's like there's something wrong. It it sounds wrong, but it feels right. You ever been in one of them situations? Sounds wrong, but it feels right. And that's a lot of times what it is, because remember, he's the one that's supposed to have the blessing. So it felt right, but it sounded wrong. And so he... Hands the blessing over, Esau comes home and he's like, Hey, I've got the wild stew. I'm ready for the, you know, the the blessing trade-off party thing that we're supposed to do. And he says, Wait, I already gave that out. That blessing's gone. And so Esau gets furious. He gets mad. And so his idea is is he's going to wait till his father passes away and he's going to kill the deceiver. The deceiver struck again in his life. So Jacob now, who's supposed to have the older, here's the promise, okay, this is why you got to submit yourself to the process. He's got the promise that the older is going to serve the younger, but it feels like the promise is the older is going to kill the younger this is a word in here for somebody. Some of you feel as if this older thing is trying to attack this younger thing. And whatever this older thing is that's trying to attack this younger thing, you're going to have to let it play out and you can't get in your flesh and try to make it right and fight back. So here he goes and he's moving. Uh, He's like, his mom just says, hey, look, you know what? These gals around here ain't no good anyway. I need you to go into town and get you a woman. Uh, And and so so he just takes off. So here he is supposed to have the promise, and instead he's on a run for his life. He leaves everything he knows to be comfortable. He leaves everything that he's worked for. Here he has listened to his mother and been a part of this, this kind of scheme, and it seems to completely backfire. And he's on his way to his uncle's house to try to find a bride... And he's just disgusted. And so, he gets to a place where he's just tired. He's worn out. He doesn't feel like he could go any further. And he's about to give up. And he's wondering, is this blessing thing even really worth it? Because remember the weight of the blessing that's hanging over this man. This wasn't, you know, you're going to have a Cadillac and and uh, you know live in a nice home. This was the promise to Abraham that's passed to him that is through you all nations will be blessed. That in other words, the world is hanging in the balance over how you steward the blessing.
0: Sometimes it's hard to be blessed of God. (laughs) Imagine that promise
1: hanging over you. You don't feel much like Superman. You feel more like a normal man carrying something supernatural. And now, you're fleeing the place that's promised to you to go to a place that's not promised to you. And so here he goes, disgusted. He's wore out. And you know it's bad when your pillow is a rock. I mean I've been tired. I've been real tired. But I've never been so tired that I laid my head on a rock and thought, oh man. This is like a what is it? Memory phone? I don't know what they got. You know what they got. Fill in the blank. He's so tired that he puts his head on a rock and finds some relief. But it's in the hard place. That God meets him. (laughs) It's in the place where he can't go any further and he's got to sleep. See, there's this pattern with God when He puts the promise on people. He needs them to go to sleep so that they'll get out of the way where He can do what He needs to do. With Adam, He's just counted every single animal and figured out that every single animal has a mate. How How many animals in do you think it took Him to wonder where my gal at? <laughs> I mean, like female giraffe, male giraffe, female dog, male dog. That God would have him name every animal to get him to the climax in the end of himself, so that when she comes, she wouldn't take him. He wouldn't take her for granted. That he's so tired from counting animals, he goes to sleep. And it's from his side, while he's sleeping, God makes a bride. God tells Abraham, hey, time to have, we're going to cut covenant. I'm about to cut covenant with you, Abe. So Abe's excited. He's got animals split in two, and when they split animals in two and did a covenant, they didn't do it this way. They did it lengthwise. And opened the parts, and then they walked through it in a figure eight, like, And what the the thing was is that as you recited the vow between each other making your figure eight, you were basically saying that this will happen to me if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. I'll look like that. Split animal pictures. So he's got these animals split everywhere. There's like vultures coming and he's shooing them off. And he's waiting to meet with God. The Bible says... God puts a deep sleep on Abraham. Hmm? Puts a deep sleep on Abraham, and Abraham falls asleep. And a fire by itself passes through those pieces. And God makes covenant with Abraham while he's asleep. In other words, you can't hold up your end of the bargain or carry this promise or be good enough to make this thing happen. What I need you to do is to sleep and get out of the way so that I can fulfill the promises of God through your life.
0: Do you know that you sleep
1: a third of your life? Some of you two-thirds, Josh, and I ain't looking at nobody. Sucker taking a nap all the time. Yeah, well, hey, 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 okay. I'm with you, I'm with you. Okay, good deal. God's good. That we sleep a third of our life. In other words, God is saying to the human race, I need you to get out of the way about a third of the time. For two-thirds, I need you involved and engaged. But for a third,
0: I just need you to sleep.
1: And you know what i found? That when my girls, yes, they're in the bed with us. They should be in their own rooms. But I need sleep more than I need discipline in them in their own bed, okay? It just, it just is what it is. But you know, the other day I looked over and I watched my girls sleep and it gave me pleasure in my heart just to watch them sleep. And so if that's in my heart, what is in the heart of God who invented love and who made love and who is love? And I think sometimes He just needs us to get out of the way and His pleasure is just to watch us rest in His ability. Not, not for us to be lazy. Don't mishear me. But in His ability to carry it out and our ability to rest in the fact that He's not a man that He should lie, but that He's going to do exactly what He said He would do. So here's my man sleeping on a rock
0: pillow in a desolate place, running for his life, on the run.
1: Doesn't look like it can go up from here. But do you know what I found? Is that it's always at rock bottom where God reveals Himself in such a powerful way. And what He didn't realize is that His rock bottom was actually Jesus was the rock at the bottom.
0: (laughs) He thinks he's got his head on a rock, but
1: he's got his head on Jesus. (laughs) That in his fatigue of trying to do it his own way, he's thrown himself on the rock. That's why Satan wants to put in the lie that you've done too much to ever accomplish the things of God. You're not going to be able to do it. And he wants to keep you trying in this perpetual guilt ridden, anxiety ridden effort instead of just throwing yourself on the rock and <laughs> breaking yourself on him. So here he is laying on the rock. Verse 10, Genesis 28, verse 10. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down and sleep. Now, stones are going to start becoming a big part of his life, as you're going to see. Verse 12, As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up And down the stairway. Now, the stone that Jacob has laid his head on has propelled him and perpetuated him in his sleep to a dream. Really, some kind of prophetic dream that he has. Now, at this point, there's been no markers to show us in his life that he's had any encounters with God, other than through the relationship of his parents. His dad's told him what the promise was with Abraham, I'm sure with the oral stories that were told about Abraham's adventures, about Isaac's adventures, and different things of that nature. But he doesn't really have his own stories, right? And what I've found is, is you can go a little while on somebody else's relationship, but there comes a point in time to where you've got to have your own stories. Where you've got to have your own encounter with Him. That you can go off grandma's prayers for a little bit. And you can go off mama's prayers for a little bit. You can go off meemaw's prayers and peepaw's sermons. But there comes a time in your life where you're going to have to put your head on the rock and have your own dream from God. And Jacob, up to this point, hadn't had the encounters, probably wondering if God even cares or if that blessing thing is even real. Puts his head on the rock and has this vision of this like holy ramp. Proper word would be like a ziggurat. If you've ever seen that? Maybe in the Mayan culture. It's like a pyramid, but with stairs on the outside, right? Pyramids that have things inside, no steps. Ziggurats are really for God to come down. But there's something unique that he sees. He sees angels ascending and descending. Now, anytime these ziggurats were built, it was for the gods to come down, to enter the temple, and to be a part of their worship. It wasn't for men to go up, it was for God to come down. He sees a gateway in heaven that's so fantastic that not only are things coming down to earth, things are going up. So suddenly he realizes there's this gateway of heaven where it's not just God coming down when he wills, but things are going up when they will. <laughs> So there's this exchange of the gate of heaven in this desolate place in a place where he's got his head on a rock and he realizes that the gateway to heaven is in the roughest, hardest place he's ever been in his life. And that's why we can't settle for convenience like my brother said. Because you weren't made for convenience. You were made for the glory of God. And the glory of God is going to take you to some hard places. But you better learn to lay down in the hard place and quit running and dream the dream of God in the earth. So Jacob, who couldn't really lift his feet to even get going, is now having this fantastic dream and he sees angels going up and down the stairway. The up and down would represent that they're bringing blessings down, but they're bringing something back up with them. There's an exchange. There's this relational Thing that's uh, kind of uh, occurring here—that this is, this would be
0: Jacob's spot from here on.
1: And what I've found is that we all need a spot, a place we go back to where we remember an encounter with him, a secret place where we get away. We lay our head in a hard place and say we're not getting up until we get up with the dream of God and the voice of God and the vision of God for our life. This is what God is calling us to. This would be where Jacob was now. It would be where he would be when he was confronted by Laban later on. And it's also where he would wrestle with God Himself. (laughs) Oh, man. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of blood on the floor in some in 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 the secret place. Because it's always a place where my will's got to die. And I'll tell you what, I got a pretty strong will. <laughs> but here's the thing I've learned is that I can't out wrestle God. I can't out wrestle him. And then when he gets his way, I'm like, "Why didn't I do that a long time ago?" There's something in us that has this built in resistance, but this would be Jacob's spot that he would wrestle, fight, lay, dream, do whatever it took to abide by the things of God. Verse 13, and at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. Wow, that's cool. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. And I'm giving it to your descendants.
0: Why? you sleeping.
1: He's not lifting weights. He's not doing push-ups. He's not doing a Bible memorization. He's not doing Bible study. He's sleeping. And it's in the place of sleeping where God can speak the greatest promise of His life ever into him. Your Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Verse 15, what's more? Oh man, here's the beautiful part. I am with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. And one day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. How many times have we been in a hard place and not even been aware that the Spirit of God was waiting for us to encounter Him? I'm beginning to learn to listen to the whispers of God in hard places. Because what I'm finding out about God is He's always there to be encountered. And there's nothing that's around you that's by accident. That there's no people you bump into by accident. That the everything is somehow has a thread of redemption in it. And as if you're the people of God, then you have the solution to what everybody around you needs. And this is where Jacob is at. I wasn't even aware of it. Verse 17, but he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God. The very gateway to heaven. Verse 18, the next morning Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. And then he poured olive oil all over it. So I did some digging here because this has got to be significant. Now what I see when I see like he laid his head on a rock and then poured oil on it. Here's, here's what I see in my mind. <laughs> Hmm.
0: Wow, what a fantastic dream that was. Wow. But as I started
1: digging into the culture of that day, they would set up these cultic pillars, and these pillars would be several feet high. And I don't know about you, but a rock that's several feet high Is more than just this little, all right, got it. That after the dream of God, he had supernatural strength. I'm going to prove this to you later in scripture. He had supernatural strength and he picked up something he couldn't in his own strength and was able to lift up this pillar. and stand it straight up and pour oil all over it. In other words, when you came to that place again, or if somebody passed through, they would know it was a place of worship. Why? Because they would know there's no way that rock could stand up on its own like that. And He calls this rock and this place
0: the house of God.
1: The house of God. The gateway of heaven. So I started thinking about this reality is that uh, Paul tells us that the rock that followed the children of Israel around and gave them water, that that was Christ. (laughs) So we see this picture here of really Jacob encountering Christ. And what Jacob did right there was this. He built himself an altar. He erected a house of God. He erected an altar. He erected a place of worship. And because He erected this altar, this place where God could be worshiped, something else happens. Something else happens. Verse 19, He named the place Bethel, which means the house of God, although it was previously called Luz. It's a house. It looks like a rock. He <laughs> calls it a house. But it's funny when you have an encounter with God, you start seeing things differently. What looks like a rock in a hard place suddenly becomes this beautiful chapel in which you can worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What looked like an obstacle is now something that I can enter into and redeem and come into and meet with God at. What looked like a pillow now suddenly becomes this place. And so I looked up. I was like, okay, what's this? It was called Luz before. What does that mean? Luz in the rabbinical literature was a bone that they thought couldn't be broken. And it was connected to the hip. Fast forward to when he wrestled with God, where did God touch where he always walked with a limp? His hip, right? His pelvis. So the place was called, can't be broken here. And now it's called, no, this is the house of God. This is where everybody broken. Because You're going to get broken in this place, okay? Uh, There's no stubborn place where God can't twist and adjust and and bring us into the right place with Him. This becomes his spot. This becomes the unfolding of of Jacob's life. Because he put his head on a rock and slept. He made an altar. (laughs) Built an altar. Supernatural altar. Now, I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 29. This is after Jacob leaves that place and he makes some vows and some different things. and He's trying to figure it out. Genesis chapter 29 verse 1, then Jacob hurried on. The Hebrew there is, is that he lifted his feet. Most of the time the Scripture says lift your eyes. But after this encounter, the guy that was dragging has now got a bounce in his step. And now he's running to the place that he dreaded. Because now he knows God's with him. See, when you understand that God's with you, you won't dread your life and be walking around and moping around all the time. When you know God is with you, you're going to have a little bit of a bounce in your step. That he didn't even lift his eyes to see what was coming. He was just lifting his feet because he knew who had his back and knew who was with him. Uh, Finally arriving in the land of the east... Verse 2, he saw a well in the distance. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in the open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. Did you notice that? Verse 3, it was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. So Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Naor? He asked. Yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well? I guess common chit-chat here within the Bible here. Is he doing well, Jacob asked. Yes, he's very well, (laughs) they answered. Look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the flock now. Jacob said, "Look, it's still broad daylight. Too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and the goats so they can get back out to pasture?" Now, watch this. We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived. They replied. The shepherds, plural, move the stone from the mouth of the well. Did you catch that? The shepherds move the mouth of the well. Move the stone from the mouth of the well. And we water all the sheeps and goats. So they're waiting on all the shepherds. Not the They're saying they're flocks. You know how guys do. Oh, we're waiting on all the flocks to water them. <coughs> what they're really saying is, we need more shepherds because we can't get a hold of this stone and get it off the well. But who was the heavy stone lifter before that built an altar unto God? <laughs> Are you seeing it come together? I hope so. Why don't you water the sheep saying so it out? And they replied, We can't till all the flocks were the, the shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well, and we water all the sheep and goats. Verse 9. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved. The stone from its mouth
0: and watered
1: his uncle's flock.
0: So the man that built an, built an altar was able to untap the well.
1: The one who was able to lift up a rock and declare the house of God. The one that built a place of sacrifice. The one that built a place of worship. Didn't look like much. Looked like a rock standing up with some EVOO on it. He stands it up, pours oil on it, and the guy that can do that is the same guy that can remove the stone from the well so that the people and the animals can drink. See, if you don't know how to build an altar, you'll never be able to untap the wells for this, for this area. And if all if God answers you anything else today, I hope you get this. I hope you learn how to build an altar. Because there's going to come a time when some people are going to need something to drink. And if you've already built an altar, guess what? You can say, I can untap this well. (laughs) Because I've already built an altar which has given me the strength to untap the well so that you can drink. But it's the one that set up the rock in private that was able to untap the well in the public. your
0: prayer time is not insignificant.
1: You're building an altar. It doesn't look like much. It doesn't look look pretty. It looks like your head's on a rock. It looks like a desperate person. How how great does your private prayer time look? Let's just think if there was cameras zoned in on it. It would be pretty embarrassing. There's snot. There's tears. There's slobber. It kind of looks like a man laying his head on a rock. But the ones that Key into this. (laughs) The ones that know how to build an altar are the ones that untap the well so that people can drink. So God wants us to learn what it is to, to build an altar. What it is to dream again. Remember, Jacob was the house guy. Esau was red, hairy guy. But the house guy that didn't have much strength, was able to lift up a stone supernaturally. He was able to take off. So we see this motif starting to develop that it doesn't matter how awesome and how great you are or any of these things. It matters that God is with you. It matters is God's with you. And that when you have your encounters, you understand the significance of that moment. Now I remember when his dad went to the well, this is, I guess it's funny. It's like the wells where you went to meet ladies, I guess, in this in this time period. This is where people were always hooking up. And so when his dad went, his dad didn't go, his dad sent a servant. Remember that? And it was like camels laden with gold or something, right? Like it was like an entourage. I know it doesn't sound like much to us, but like then it was like. Whoa, it's like limos coming through or something like that, right? It's like these camels are weighted down with gold, and he shows up. Hey, where's this Rebecca lady? You know, like, oh, here here she is. But in this instance, the bridegroom
0: shows up himself. He comes to the well himself, removes the stone. Now it's
1: starting to look a little bit familiar. A shepherd at a well meeting a lady at the wrong
0: time of the day.
1: He <laughs> looks at him and says, Huh, you can't untap that well, Jesus, because you got nothing to draw with, and that well's much too deep. And that's the lie of the enemy that your problems are too complex. That you're this unique little snowflake, that your problems are so much greater than everyone else in the world, and you're never gonna overcome. And Jesus, you don't even have nothing to draw with. But here's the beautiful, beautiful thing about God God doesn't have to draw from the well, He just sends the rain from heavens and brings it down. <laughs> it's like you're trying to dig within and say, Oh, I'm gonna find this thing. And God's like, no, you're not. If you'll build an altar, I'll bring it from the top down. And you won't have to look within yourself for the supernatural strength or figure out how deep you can dig. You can just lift your arms and rest and say, oh God, in Your strength,
0: I can do it. (laughs) With
1: You, God, I can do it. Yeah. So that's kind of the story that's going on here. Now guess guess what happens here. Verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel
0: and he wept aloud.
1: Verse 12. He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side. The son of her Aunt Rebecca. It sounds like Arkansas is going on here. Uh, (laughs) Yikes. Yikes. So Rachel quickly ran, See, we got a lot in common with this is the Bible. And so Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob arrived, he ran out to meet him, and he embraced and kissed him and brought him home when Jacob had told him his story. Laban exclaimed, "You really are my own flesh and blood." Did you see what happened here? A man builds an altar. A well gets untapped. And a bridegroom and a bride have an encounter. And the bridegroom cries aloud and weeps for joy. Remember, just a little bit earlier, not even a chapter earlier, he's down to absolutely nothing.
0: He's got his head on a rock. The rock that he's got his
1: head on is Jesus. And so I, you might be in a hard place. And I'm going to tell you something. When you're in a hard place, you got some rocks to build an altar. And here's the beautiful thing about the New Testament reality. So an altar is a place to die, right? But God says, I'm looking for living sacrifices. <laughs> that he's already did all the dying. He needs some people to do some living, okay? He needs some life going on in the earth. He wants you to step into the life that God would provide and that the life that God
0: has for you. Build an altar. Untap the well. And have an encounter with the bridegroom. Have an encounter with the bridegroom. He loves you. Let's pray. God, we just... We just thank You, Lord. We love You, God. God, there's nothing magical or anything like that. It's just simple people with simple faith that trust You with all that they have and all that they are. The race isn't to the swift. It's not to the mighty. God, it's the humble and the meek that inherit the earth.
1: So, God, any condemnation that anybody's felt, any place of just trying to figure it out, hey, join the club. We're all there. God, let us not waste our hard moments, our hard spots, the hard places, and look over them and not even be aware that, that You're there.
0: Say, God, right there in that hard spot, right there in that hard place, God, we're going to build an altar. We're going to start dreaming again. We're going to start believing again. God, we're going to raise our faith in the hard place. We're going to untap some wells. We're
1: going to reach some untapped wells, God. God, we're going to remove the heavy stones What Satan put in front of us as an obstacle actually becomes the house of God. What the devil meant to make us stop actually becomes the thing that through your strength we stand on its head and anoint and say, this is the place where God gave me the victory and put a bounce back in my step. So God, teach us to build a teach us to build an altar because that's where it starts it starts at the altar I just want to do something real simple if you're here and you say you know what I want to build an altar before God I want to start untapping I want to start reaching and uncapping and untapping I want to start digging into some wells I want to build an altar tonight. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank
1: you, Jesus. Jesus, people need a drink and we've been waiting on somebody else to come along. Called each one of us to build an altar. So God, tonight we build an altar. We build an altar, God. Nothing pretty. Nothing touched by the hands of men. But a place of encounter with you. a beautiful place but a simple place that makes things beautiful Jesus name if you're standing would you come up to the front let's just lift our hands to heaven let's just build an altar tonight don't have to look pretty don't have to be showy It's it's just his presence it's just him it's just him just engage with him don't wait for a person to lay their hands on you we'll do some of that but just let the Lord lay His hand on you. Let the Lord let you dream again. Quit striving and just lay your head on him. Lay your head on the rock like John, and hear his heart beat again. And you'll find when you hear his heartbeat, it's not an anxious heartbeat. It's not palpitations that are just beating out of his chest. It's a slow rhythm that's teaching you everything's going to be OK. everything's going to be okay. That He's going to provide. He's going to move. He's going to touch family members, but He needs you to learn how to build an altar and quit trying to fix them. Jesus, just lift your hands all the way up. Let's just stretch. We're going to stretch ourselves tonight. We're going to stretch ourselves tonight. God, I ask for an encounter, God, with my friends. I ask for an encounter with my friends.